Okay, we are uh, in our third week of three weeks of a, a series of conversations that we've called Balance. You know, building, building spiritual health, building a, the right spiritual foundation. Here's what we said each week from the beginning. To have overall life balance, and by that I mean emotional equilibrium, and also the right, you know, time management, the right kind of uh, work-life balance, that the foundation for all of that is spiritual balance. And we have said that spiritual balance uh, really is accomplished by building our lives on a, on a platform of three areas in which we are growing. We are growing up toward God in worship, we are growing in toward God's people in community, and we're growing out toward the world in service. I want you to do that with me. We're going to be obnoxious. Let's go. Growing up toward God in worship, growing in toward God's people in community, and growing out toward the world in service. And today, we're going to focus on our, our outward growth. Now look, when we say the world, growing out toward the world in service, what we mean by that is that part of the, the culture around us, the, the global culture, that again, that is in deep need and or that is far from God. Now, we, we have to acknowledge the truth this morning. The, the, there is just cultural weirdness all around us. I mean, particularly for us in the United States, and that has not always been true of the United States, but it's just, our society is so fractured and so at odds with itself. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. It is frankly disorienting. Well, we're looking at a passage today that gives us some direction on how to do it, how to move out toward the world and serve, how to grow out toward the world in service. It gives us, if you will, rules of engagement for addressing the culture around us. So this is a big one for us this morning, especially for where we live. The United States, the capital of the United States, we're there. This is a big one. So I'm going to read this morning Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And, and to, let's tune our heads and hearts to this because Jesus actually gives us rules of engagement for how we move into the culture around us, the culture that is in deep need, culture that is far from God. Let's, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. As I read Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and I want you to think through this with me from the perspective of rules of engagement, how it is that we move, and you'll get this as, as we move through the explanation of this. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16. I'll read from the screen. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The salt loses its saltiness. That's an odd, uh, uh, odd offering of Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. You're the light of the world. Example. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. I mean, you can see it from miles away as you're approaching it. You're on your camel, you're walking, you see the town in the distance. Well, the same way. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's, that's what light does. It's the purpose of light. In the same way, you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You may be seated. 
So for me, the truth in this passage is stunning. As I said in this passage, Jesus gives us rules of engagement. You'll get what I mean in a second. For how we relate to the world, and his answer is, I think it's important and it's stunning. How are we to engage it? How are we to engage the world? We're religious. Much of the world around us is not. How do we interact with that? For those of your parents, how do we train our children to interact with the world around us? Okay, so Jesus, for starters, Jesus uses two analogies here, doesn't he? Salt and light. The first image is salt. It's interesting that Jesus tells us, essentially, don't lose your saltiness. At first blush, this doesn't make any sense because uh, salt cannot lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride, which is salt, is a stable compound. As I said, it doesn't become, salt does not become unsalty. What does he mean? Well, most salt in the ancient world derived from places like salt marshes and not from like the evaporation of, of, of salt water. And as a result, their salt, their salt, if I may, contained many impurities. The, the actual salt content of their salt, which was the salt was more soluble than the impurities, would often be leached out of the salt compound that they used, leaving a residue that was so diluted it wasn't worth anything. It wasn't really salt anymore. So it was pretty typical in that day for salt to lose its saltiness. The analogy is pretty easy to understand, right? Salt is a preservative. It's a flavoring element. And in small doses, salt is a fertilizer. Jesus is suggesting that we preserve relationships. We, we hold them together. We make the environments in which we are involved, we make them more flavorful. We make them better because we're there and we fertilize people. We inspire and encourage them to, to go deeper in their connection with God and with one another. Don't lose your saltiness. Second image is light. Light is a complex phenomenon. If you Google properties of light and do that this week, uh, <laughs> there are a wide range of lists just for properties of light. There are lists created by and for like photographers and videographers. That gets pretty technical. That literally talks about the properties of light and they have to do with lighting things. Uh, there are lists from psychologists that focus on perception and how, how the properties of light, how it interacts with our our vision and our creates perception. There are lists from physicists and astronomers that focus on the nature of light. Light is complicated. But I don't think Jesus had any of that in mind in this analogy. Jesus is thinking of the effects of light. That is, most basic, it dispels darkness. It helps us travel from place to place. It helps us accomplish tasks. In short, it opens up the world to our primary sense, our vision. Jesus tells us we are light. We dispel darkness by our presence. We open up the world to others. It's so unfortunate that we have, we the church have the reputation of closing things down because we are the kind of people who facilitate movement toward growth, toward healing. Don't hide your lightness. Let it shine. Okay. Started all this by saying in this passage, Jesus gives us the rules of engagement for relating to the culture around us. So let me explain that. There are three basic ways to engage the world. One, isolation. 
This is often what religious people do. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do. A primary way we isolate from the world is, is through our rules. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pacomius the Great. He's a, a fourth century saint. And, and he was an a, a, a Egyptian soldier who was won to Christ by the kindness of Christians. After his release from the military, about uh, 315 AD, he was baptized. And shortly after that, uh, Pacomius became a disciple of a Christian hermit named Palamon. Now, Palamon lived a severe ascetic life. Ultimately, he completely withdrew from all social contact. He taught Pacomius that the way to holiness was through severe self-denial and a completely solitary life. You had, to, you had to get yourself away from all temptations and all distractions. Pacomius then founded a religious order of followers who devoted themselves to severe isolation. Early in the life of the church, this model of devotion, by the way, was highly praised. The idea was that the corruption of society could be avoided if it was eliminated as a possibility. There were, there were, there were uh, Christian hermits who, uh, toward the end of their lives, when, when bugs and insects would crawl on them, they would not kill them. They, they would consider them, you know, part of God's activity. They, they, uh, it was an foul in some ways. A whole movement of hermits grew out of this ideology. They wandered the desert alone, fasting and praying and, and having visions. Many went to extremes, as I said. There were, there were some who ate nothing but grass for years. They, they, there were some who spent their lives living in trees, and they would have resources um, wheeled up and down to them by followers. Or there were those who refused to wash for years. Pacomius was taught solitude, silence, and severity. But at some point, uh, he began to question the methods and lifestyle of his mentor. How can you learn to love if no one is around? Pacomius wondered. How can you learn humility living alone? How can you learn kindness or gentleness or goodness in isolation? How can you learn patience unless someone puts yours to the test? In short, Pacomius concluded that developing spiritual fruit requires being around people. Ordinary, ornery people. He's become most well-known, perhaps, for this quote. Listen, to save souls, you must bring them together, the good and the bad. I remember reading an article uh, many years ago about uh, a megachurch in Dallas that had recently built a new facility. As a part of their facility, uh, they had built a tennis complex a bowling alley, a food court, a hair salon, and many other accoutrements. But what struck me most was a quote from one of their teenagers. Uh, I cut out this article and saved it for years, who said, this is amazing. We don't ever have to go anywhere else. We don't have to be polluted by the world, which means we also can't influence the world. Honestly, isolation is really the... Isolation is really the underlying engagement rule for some of us in the way we do family. And this is how some of us approach our work environments. But this is not the engagement strategy that Jesus advocates. A second alternative 
is assimilation. One way to approach the world is to isolate. One way to approach the world is assimilation. Absorption is a synonym for assimilation. It can mean to become part of something. When a, when a thing is assimilated, it is no longer recognizable as a thing unto itself. It becomes part of a, another thing. This is the strategy adopted by many of us in our early 20s. When we leave home, we, we want to look as much like the culture around us as we can. I don't need to explain this one here. I don't think, <laughs> not really. This is the strategy of choice by most suburban Americans, even Christians. Often we suburban Christians act and drink and divorce and watch and spend and judge and respond and demand just like our neighbors. This is especially true of those of us who are Native Americans. I had someone from Gateway uh, who grew up in a, a foreign culture uh, talked to me a, a couple of years ago after a service one Sunday. And they were, they were um, sad, took a while for us to get to this, but they were sad about how out of step they sometimes felt. These are my words, not theirs. But I think they were sometimes uncomfortable with the cultural clues that they missed. And after that conversation, it occurred to me, this might be an advantage. Assimilation is not the strategy of the New Testament. This is not the strategy that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5. There's a passage in, in 1 Peter where Peter calls us foreigners and exiles in the world. Bring that passage up. Who wants to be a foreigner and an exile? But that's what we are. I have infinitely more, listen to this, I have infinitely more in common with uh, George and Cassandra Gahungu, who grew up in Burundi, than I have with many people in my neighborhood. I am an alien and a stranger there. And I have a world in common because of my connection in Christ, because of our connection in Christ, I have a world in common with George and Sandra. Paul said it even more plainly. In Romans 12, Paul said this in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then this. Look at this. See that verse? Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't assimilate. You are not them. But be transformed, not by removal, not by isolation, not by hyper-protectivism, not by excessive rules. In other words, not by isolation, but by the renewing of your mind. Assimilation was not the strategy advocated by Jesus, nor was isolation. Salt and light, by the way, have no assimilative properties. They are transformative to the environment around them. So then, what does Jesus advocate as the rule of engagement for his people? Permeation. <laughs> if, you're, if English is not your first language, and maybe if it is, you, you might not know this word. Listen uh, to the, dictionary, the sentence that the dictionary offers as an example of the meaning of the word permeate. The smell of the soup permeated the whole house. So the soup smell didn't leave the house, but it also wasn't lost in the other smells of the house. It changed the smell of the house by becoming part of it. By being in it, the smell of the house was changed. This is 
what both salt and light are able to do. Light does not withdraw from the darkness in the room, and it does not lose itself in the darkness of the room. It changes the room. Be salt. Be light, Jesus said. Permeate. You don't have to avoid the neighborhood party, but while you're there, you you don't shrink back from saying, you know, my pastor said this really interesting thing this Sunday. It just spills out of you. When someone at work asks you what you're doing this summer, you don't dance around it and change the topic. You tell them, oh, I'm going on a mission trip with my church this summer to the Dominican Republic. We work with a woman down there who does unbelievable things in a, in a local village. You're in exile, but you still live in the land. You're a foreigner, but you fully engage. Often we either withdraw We isolate, or or we go out of our way to talk about Squid Game and Ted Lasso, but we can't bring ourselves to encourage the other soccer mom to watch The Chosen. That might get religious. Jesus' strategy for engagement was permeation. How? How does that happen? What what is the energy behind permeation? What, What drives it? What's the key here? Stay with me. Just a couple more minutes. The key... For our permeation is not our effort. This is not where the energy comes from. We shouldn't concentrate on trying to be religious. We shouldn't concentrate on trying to have all the answers. We don't, by the way. We have the answer, but we don't have all the answers. Someone asked me to meet with them some time ago. This is is a long time ago. I asked for permission to share this. (laughs) They wanted prayer because of the persecution that they were experiencing at their work. They believed they were being mistreated because of their witness. They had spoken to a gay co-worker about their lifestyle. And the co-worker had complained to HR, and they were reprimanded. And this was a shock to them, and, and uh, an example of them, of the, the persecution they were experiencing at work. So I suggested that... Maybe they were trying to answer questions that no one was asking. What do you mean, they said. Well, did the gay co-worker ask your opinion? Did the gay co-worker ask you for help or advice? Did the gay co-worker ask you questions of a spiritual nature? Or did you maybe offer your help unsolicited? Their sexual identity is not the issue. The issue is the nature of their connection to God or lack thereof. And your lifestyle should be such that this coworker would want to know what's different about you. The coworker should be drawn to the life-giving fertilizer available to them demonstrated in your actions. Permeate. Be salt, be light. Permeation is not about effort. It's about identity. We permeate the culture around us by being who we really are. And we don't hold anything back in our actions or in our words. You are the salt of the earth. This is, this is not followed by a list of rules or tasks that the salt must do. This is followed simply by an exhortation. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose who you essentially are, no matter what environment you're in. You are the light of the world. Look, a city on a hill can't be hidden. You can see it from miles away, and, and you want to see it. You're trying to get there. That's you. You... 
You, when you have a lamp in your home, you, you don't put it under a basket. You use it to illuminate the room. You are that light. Illuminate the room. Be light. I mean, what does a lamp do in a room? It shines. It can't help it. It gives light to the whole room. And then Jesus, in a passive voice, did you notice that? He says, in the same way, let your good deeds come out of you. Let your good deeds shine before others, that they, they'll see them and glorify your Father in heaven. It's what happens when you're light. Because Christ is in you, you have deeper, better desires. We permeate the culture by living in such a way as to encourage our deeper desires to shine through. By way of review, Jesus began by encouraging us not to lose our saltiness. So how do we lose our saltiness? How do we hide our light? We isolate. We operate out of fear or embarrassment. We isolate from others. We live insular lives. We don't step out. We don't connect. Or we assimilate. We're, we're unrecognizable from anything else around us. Signs of, signs of our assimilation, I think, are our busyness, our drivenness, our materialism, our demandingness. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by people. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, you know what we've been talking about, of course, we've been talking about moving out toward the world in service. And we do that by permeating the culture around us. Now, as we've said for the last two weeks, we don't, I'm not going to spend much time on this. I'm going to go through this quickly, but I do want you to notice. I want you to notice it. Uh, this has to become practical, or it doesn't really mean anything. So at Gateway, we've identified three themes, three life themes, three life habits that help us grow out toward the world in service. And the first one is to open our lives to people in need. This is an especially important calling for those of us who live in the suburbs. We can live our lives entirely in a bubble. You and I need to get 24 inches away from deep need, physical need and spiritual need. Our lives, by virtue of where we live, are a little bit insulated. Take your children on a mission trip. Don't just go yourself. Get them out of their bubble. Expose them to something other than over-resourcedness. Open our lives to people in need. That, that gives God an opportunity to move our hearts. Secondly, uplift God's character. Think about how to have God's character be lifted up in your life and displayed like you're a movie screen and his character is the thing that is being reflected off of your life. Read a book this year about the character of God or about holiness or think about your own purity. What is it that, that what are the impurities in, in your life that, you know, if the salt gets leached out, this is what's left. And then finally, tell others about Christ. Uh, you know, Things that have been helpful for me here are um, over the years, uh, once or, 
every year or every other year, I'll read a biography of a missionary. It's so inspiring and it inspires me to live my life for the sake of the world and tell other people about the hope that I have. Which one of these needs work this year for you in your life? That's not rhetorical. That's a real question. Which one of those needs work this year for you? Opening your life to people in need? Uplifting God's character? Is there an area of impurity or overall uh, growing in your ability to reflect God's character? Or is it telling other people about the story that, that has been passed down to us? The, the hopeful, enlightening, saving message of Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we, we commit ourselves this morning to uh, growing up toward you and worship and in toward one another, growing in toward one another, investing in toward one another in community and growing out toward the world beyond ourselves, beyond our, our garage doors, out toward the world in service to a world that is needy and hurting, deep emotional need, deep physical need, and a world that's far from you. Lord, uh, this week, remind us to permeate. Remind us to be salt and to be light in every environment we're in. Wherever we go, Lord, we bring ourselves. And because you're in us, we bring good stuff. I pray we will let you out in our actions, in our love for others, and in our words. We'll tell your story. In Jesus' name we pray. 